In this week's episode, Jess and I tackle the final essential of the faith. We also talk about some of the obstacles in missions, and we get into a really bizarre conversation about teeth. All of that and more in this week's episode of Goodwill Talk. So I had to take my youngest, um, I had to take my youngest to the dentist yesterday. Okay. And uh, she missed another day of school. That was not intended, but she basically ended up having like three dentist appointments in one because um, we hadn't had a chance to get her to her her six month. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and then there was a cavity, which Dentists actually are like so required backed up right now. It's crazy. two fillings. So basically, they're like, while you're in here. We're just knock three things out. We and they and she she did a great job. It was at a place. This is why I bring it up. Uh, well, it's not why I bring it up. I bring it up because we were talking about teeth earlier and it's, it's came to mind. And I'll, <laughs> I'll explain that to the okay. listener in a second. But um, so here's the thing. Uh, my daughters have my wife's teeth. Okay. So like we're just expecting to live the rest of our lives in dental bills. Um, they don't get to go to college because they have teeth. Um, That's like in my family, we have my father's teeth. Yeah. Is that what, yeah. is that what happened? Yeah. Because yep. my teeth, like I'm, I'm like, I probably need work done, but I'm fine. Like, and my whole life I've been fine. No, Not I only so don't get cavities wife. anymore because I have them in all the places. Yeah. So like there's fillings in all the places to protect the teeth See, I, I, from where I would get the cut. That's not my, because we were talking earlier about how we both have sensitive teeth. Yes. Yeah. And this is why I can't chew on ice. I can't bite down on ice. No, Jeff was saying how he loves to chew oh. ice. And even though he knows he probably is not the best, but both of us were like cringing. Ugh. Like, I mean, I can't even bite ice cream. Like there are people who are like, yeah, you get the the like thing on a stick with covered in chocolate. You just bite into it. I can't even do that. My, yeah, you got to use your finger and pinch it off and eat it. I basically have to. Yeah. I break off a piece and then I, I lick the ice cream. <laughs> And make sure my teeth, my, especially my front teeth, go nowhere near it. You are disgusting, sir. <laughs> what do you want from my, Come on. I'm just kidding. That's just, just a normal way of eating ice cream for people who have sensitive sir, teeth. you are yeah. gross. Anyway, um, so yeah, we. I take my daughter to the dentist. And my wife had been there to this particular dentist a couple of times. I'd never gone. That place was amazing. It was amazing, Jessica. It's the, it's best, the dentist best dentist I've ever seen ever in my to. life. It's called Craft Smiles. It's in Newburgh. Okay. Um, and uh, so we get there and it is pediatric dentistry. That's what they do. It's just for kids. Yeah. Um, and so we go into the waiting room and they got the the game stuff out and the TV playing a cartoon. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know. And then we go into the back room and I'm wondering, why, why is my daughter excited to go to the dentist? That doesn't make sense to me. Because there's a TV in there's the a ceiling. a TV on the ceiling. Yep. My kid's dentist has that also. she's watching Netflix while this is happening. Uh -huh. And it's not just that. The people who worked with her were amazing. Like they're they're doing this dentistry and my daughter's laughing and having fun. And I'm like, they're they're like putting in a filling right now. I can hear the drill working and <laughs> it's like what is happening? I don't laugh when I'm at the dentist. Well, I'm glad she had There's a great no experience. giggling at the dentist, but there is at Craft Smiles. So that was just a free commercial for Craft Smiles is what that was. Because it was such a cool experience for me. Here's the thing. See, most, I, most pediatric dentists are like that. I, I don't know. I've never been to a pediatric dentist. I, I went to the guy who did dentistry. Oh, I lived in the desert. Me like, too. It was, that guy can work on teeth a little bit. That's where I went. Um, He's also the barber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that guy. And if, you, and if your, your cow is about to calve, call the dentist. Um, <laughs> it's a different world. Steady hands, though. Steady, Steady hands. Steady hands. That's right. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it was one of those things where um, I, so I, I just didn't grow up going to the dentist a lot. 
I hate the dentist. It's uncomfortable. It's no fun. I just, so the idea of watching my kid in the dentist chair freaked me out. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awful. But it was the best. It's amazing. It was not amazing. It was fine. I mean, yeah. It was just, the best dental experience. Yeah, it's not like for. she was on a you know, like on a roller coaster having a good time. Like that would have been more fun. But it was a good time. I'm really glad for both yeah. of you. You guys, you guys have a you're a family of bad teeth too. Uh, not my kids. My kids are have good teeth. They must yeah. have mats. You got mats. I have my mom's teeth that are close together, mm-hmm. and I have my dad's teeth that have thin enamel. So oh, good. It's been a great. Did you have braces? Nope. Neither did I. Nope, no braces, but yeah. my teeth are very close together, so I use a water pick because uh-uh. some of them are very, very tight for floss. Wow. I can imagine. Says everybody's yawning. Everybody just shut this thing off Whatever. as soon as the you water started, pick showed up. You started with teeth. Water picks are great. Water uh, picks are amazing. We're not going to get into this right it's now. It's got to be warm we? water, though, right? Because Oh, yes. That, that, that definitely hurts. has to be warm water. That's, no. that's sensitive. That, that would yeah. bother me. The yeah. cold water hurts. You have to do like just slightly warmer than room temperature. I, this episode has already fallen apart. Whatever. We're five minutes Happy in. Happy New Year! <laughs> yeah, because the, our New Year episode dropped before New Year's. So, uh, That's yeah, right. It Marcos, was really like... It Marcos was in the... Oh, how is that on me, producer? That was... That was Apple deciding when it wanted to release the episode. Really. <laughs> yeah, apparently, because we all, looked it at released it today. all the rest of them correctly, but not that, <laughs> not one. that one. Everyone write your strongly worded emails to Marcos because <laughs> it's his fault. <laughs> oh, come on. I don't need more strongly worded emails. That's right. That was the pre New Year, like leading up to New Year. Yeah. Really, it was only a couple days early. You got a happy New Year. And now another happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Okay. We're, we're, we're in it. We're in it. We're in 2023. Let's get to work. Well, I didn't know we were kicking off our new year this way, but we are. We're finishing the Essentials of the Faith. This is the EPC's Essentials of the Faith, part of our Constitution, part of uh, what we hold to here at Goodwill Church. And um, these are are not necessarily Presbyterian distinctives. This is what we believe are essential for all people who call themselves Christians. Um, and, And so this is a broad document, includes all of our brothers and sisters. We've made it all the way to this final one. Yeah. And, Our last uh, episode was the end, but that was just about the end. Yes. Not the end of this. <laughs> exactly. This um, is the end of this. This is the end of the essentials. Yes. And it's about missions or really about the Great Commission. Right. Um, so not just like global missions, but here at home as well. And we're going to get into that. So, Jess. Yes. Would you please read essential number seven for I us? I will. I should have put it all on one page. It crosses over into two pages. Oh, geez. You're, you're just going to be all know. messed up now. It's going to be fine. Flummox. <laughs> Maybe not, but we'll, it'll be okay. We'll see what happens. Uh, uh, essential number seven. The Lord Jesus Christ commands all believers to proclaim the gospel throughout the world and to make disciples of all nations. Obedience to the Great Commission requires total commitment to, quote, him who loves us and gave himself for us, end quote. He calls us to a life of self-denying love and service. Quote, we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. End quote. And that's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. All right. So uh, commands all believers to proclaim the gospel throughout the world and to make disciples of all nations. And uh, so we're going to be talking about missions. We're also going to talk about uh, proclaiming the gospel here at home. And Jess, my first question for you is, when you hear all believers are to proclaim the gospel, 
what comes to mind? Like, what does that look like? Because when I hear proclaim the gospel, I think of an evangelist or I think of a preacher, but this is saying it's the duty of all believers. So like, what does that look like for people who don't do what I do? I think it's much more like your everyday. I mean, I think there are definitely people who are called to be more like vocational missionaries or pastors, like you said, um, that it's like their profession to be making disciples. But I think for everybody else, like you're just making a disciple of the people in your circles and the people in your community and the people you're in contact with. What does the proclaiming part look like? Like, how do you, cause that's, I mean, that feels awkward in a workplace or with, you know, friends when you're getting appetizers after work or something like, <laughs> I don't know. What does it look like to proclaim the gospel for everyday Christian living? I don't, I don't know that I've done this well. I don't think any of us really do this great. There are very few of us, I guess, maybe who I would say that you're like, yes, that's, but um, on Sunday when Pastor John was talking about the three circles, which I think is going to be something that we kind of focus on. Oh yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago for, now. For yeah. um, going forward, right? Like this whole yeah, year. Yeah, it's, a, it's a really like, helpful evangelism tool. It's just a tool, Yeah, but, but it's I a think, helpful one. I think like in conversations with people, not missing the this isn't the way it's supposed to be and like not, not missing those opportunities to make that a, you're right. Let me tell you how it was supposed to be. And like, I, I think that not missing those opportunities mm. is something I'm going to try to like carry forward. Cause I mean, not that they come up a lot, but they do enough. Sure. And I think people like in their, in their grumbling sometimes, like you're, you just, all right, I'm just going to leave you there yeah. instead of like, you're right. And like, let me tell you how it should be and how it's going to be. And, you know, like the peace that I have in the midst of the, it shouldn't be like this. Right. I, I think a lot of people, um, when they're feeling that things shouldn't be this way feeling, mm -hmm. um, they feel like they're crazy. They feel like, oh, it, it, am I the one who's off? Maybe this is the way the world is supposed to right. be. So maybe I'm the the problem here. Or like there's something that they can do to fix it. Yeah, they can, like, they can make the problem go away. Or there was something that they do, did to cause it, which I mean, sometimes right. there is. But a lot of times it's just, it's just the world, happening the world to you. is broken. And, and I think just hearing someone say, you're not crazy. Mm -hmm. You're right. The world isn't supposed to be this way is an incredibly comforting thing to hear. Like your 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 observation is correct. Right. The world is completely out of sorts. Let me tell you what it was supposed to be. Let me tell you how it's going to be made better. Right. Because anybody who's saying that they don't think like that th this isn't how it's supposed to be, they they innately know what God designed for the world right. and for humankind. Like, and they know that's missing. Absolutely. Even if they don't know that that's what it is. Yeah. They're they, looking for something. There's, They're looking for some answer. There's some sort of disconnect or dissonance that's happening in, at the soul level. And to be able to to point at that, that with, what did you tea. just do? Sorry. Ow. Whoa. Ow. Ow. I have poor depth. Stupid mic. I can't turn it on. Ow. I have she poor, hit me. I have poor depth perception. I just hit it's the like, microphone oh. with my cup of tea. It's oh. like people are going to be driving around oh. and be like, did, what What was that boom? There was just this boom in the distance. People going to swerve. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Whoa. Yeah, that the, wasn't a pothole. Oof. To everybody you just hit with your car. who that just was had me. to check the rear view mirror, my, we apologize. My poor depth perception. Hey, that All right. When you're singing, so um, it does sometimes happen when I'm singing too. No, you hit yeah. your face on the microphone sometimes because I have poor yeah. depth perception, especially right here. Like, there's got to be a way to work I can't, on that, can right? Can you see like, here? I don't think 
Like Can right I in like these it? four inches in front of you. Is it clear to you? It's not clear. It's blurry. It's blurry. To me, it's like very blurry. Like all the way back to here. I don't think it's my depth perception. I think my nose is too big. So I, <laughs> I take it out. Every once in a while, like we'll I smack just it on bump. there. And I always joke around that that when you don't feel like something's there and you get even hit by the mic, it feels like somebody punched you square in the face. <laughs> Especially if you're singing and you're cut your eyes closed and you're totally oh, yeah, engaged. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Just a little too it far just, forward. It feels like someone just punched you right in the take face. Take a microphone to the teeth. Yep. <laughs> and it's just like this. Like like just a graze, but it... And you're no. like, what? Oh, it is it is a devastating moment for a worship leader. I remember those days. Anyway, um, sorry I took us on that. No, long. I don't even know where we were anymore. So let's just keep Detour. moving. Um, so we are to proclaim the gospel throughout the world and to make disciples of all nations. Um, this is where the missions impulse comes from, right? Right, because the nations are brought into view. Um, so Jess, I'm I'm curious about your experience with missions. I know you haven't been on a mission trip like internationally. Nope. Um, but what has your experience with missions been in your growing up? Uh, well, we always had uh, missionaries come back when they were on furlough mm -hmm. to the church yeah. that I was at. And so usually, I don't remember if they would do, um, I just remember them giving like a presentation and like talking about the things that they did. Oh, did and, they use the like clicker thing with and they the would have their slide projector. wheel of slides? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, man. So I don't remember because I was a kid, like if that was on a Sunday, like during church yeah. or if it was a Sunday afternoon after or in the evening. I just remember there being presentation, pictures, always cool things that they would bring for you to like, you know, they'd set up on a table for you to look at and um, and always like food, obviously. Yeah. Because we're Presbyterian. <laughs> food is the best. But um. So I remember like getting to know them. I, my parents always had a pretty good relationship with a few of the um, missionaries that the church had supported. So they would come and like stay at the house for a weekend and they would like write letters to my parents and, and we would write back to them. But I don't remember doing missions. Like I went on a mission trip maybe when I was in my 20s. Okay. We went out to Ohio and like ran some sports clinics. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um. Kind of like a VBS, mm -hmm. but we mm -hmm. did that for like two years to help. There was a church there that wanted to do something similar to the church, what our church was doing here. Okay. And so we kind of helped them like get that orga organization up and running and get the kids. That's cool. So that like, you know, right from the beginning, they were polished and we yeah. went out for two summers in a row. So and then after that, they could carry it on, Run on, it their, on own. their own. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, for a lot of people, missions is is what you describe. You, you hear a missionary come through and talk about what they're doing in their part of the world, and they'll show you some cool pictures, and, and that's about it, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's something that, uh, you know, here at Goodwill, we talk about it. Maybe you give to it. Um, you, you hear reports from the field, but that's about the extent of it. And people aren't involved personally mm -hmm. in the work of the Great Commission around the world. Um, and and I think that there is an, an easy way in uh, an easy entry point that we talk about, we give lip service to it, but I don't know that people take it seriously. Um, the most effective way to be involved in the work of the Great Commission, Commission around the world is through prayer. To actively participate in praying for the missionaries in in the field, and we have missionaries here, right? We've got somebody in uh, in. Bosnia, we have somebody in Lebanon, we have somebody in Guatemala, we have a, a relationship we're starting to build in Albania. Um, who did I miss? I think that was it. Those are the four majors. Um, yeah. yeah. 
and there's, it, there's others but. there's others but like those are the ones that people are hearing about yeah, more and more ones, yeah. and you know we have we have a worker that we support who's been doing a lot of work in ukraine throughout this whole crisis um there's work that can be done through prayer like prayer is not just us shooting up some words to the sky in support but this is actual effective work where we are praying on behalf of missionaries and the spiritual warfare of missions is actually it's, it's taking place as we pray. There's actual ground that is being made through the prayers of the saints um, for the sake of missions. And so That's I, why I love one of our missionaries. She sends out like occasionally a newsletter that'll be yeah. like, hey, these are and I, I'm sure she doesn't share real names, but she gives real right. situations, real people that she's, you know, working with. And like it's very specific as right. far as like the things that to pray for that person. So you might not know their name, but you yeah. know that they're struggling with this because of a family, you know, issue or, you know, like they, they, they believe in Christ, but they can't tell their family mm -hmm. or think you know, like, it's just very specific. And so I do love that that's shared. So yeah. you can feel like it's not just well and pray for the work that's being done in. Right. And it feels kind of disconnected yeah. and distant. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. Disconnected. I, I think. You know, and, and this is something that we're going to try and do a little bit more of here at Goodwill, and you may have seen this already. Um, once in a while, when we get one of these reports coming in from the field, we're trying to print some copies off and have them in the, uh, in the well, I call it the narthex, uh, the rotunda, um, <laughs> and, uh, and at the, the, you know, info bar in New Paltz, the mm -hmm. welcome areas in, in Port Jervis and in Beacon. Um, we want to have these available so that people, as they're interested, can look at it, pray right there and leave it, or even take one home with you. We're not going to have one for every congregant, but right. you know, it's, it's an opportunity to feel a little more connected and pray specifically for the work because of the prayer requests that are in there. Mm -hmm. um, implied in this is something that um, is, has become very controversial, and we're going to touch on it for a little bit here. Um, Christians, by definition are globally minded. We care about what's going on in the world, not just in our own country. Mm -hmm. um, we care about what's going on in our own country, but we are by definition kingdom people, and the kingdom of God is not bound by national borders. Um, the kingdom of God is wherever the people of God are, and particularly when we gather in worship, that's the most visible presentation of the kingdom of God. Um, but as we go about in our daily lives doing the work of the kingdom, um, the kingdom of God is being displayed around the world. It is a global thing. Um, and there has been a movement, uh, particularly getting traction over the last year or so because of a book that came out. Um, but there has been a huge, um, not huge, but there has been a groundswell of support, so much so that this book was on the New York Times, not New York Times, uh, Amazon bestseller list. Um, Christian nationalism is what it's called. It is a, um, an ideology that is um, focused specifically on uh, the United States, and it's specifically designed to um, transform the United States into a, an explicitly Christian nation um, bordering on theocracy. And part of what they argue is that Christians need to be focused only on the nation that they've been placed in, and that they don't need to worry about what's going on in the rest of the world. That our, our goal is to transform a society into a Christian nation, so that's where our focus is. In fact, in this particular version of Christian nationalism, the church is relegated to the side, and pastors are explicitly called in the book the chaplains of the Christian nation. 
Um, so that the goal now becomes instituting laws, um, even to the extent in some variations of this blasphemy laws, um, the outlawing, uh, like criminal outlawing of a lot of things we would consider sin. Um, it, it's, it's a pretty extreme uh, perspective that flies directly in the face of this essential, that we are to proclaim the gospel throughout the world and to make disciples of all nations. Um, it also flies directly in the face, frankly, of just Matthew 28 and Jesus' call to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and so I... I'm just making all kinds of noise. Yeah, you're just sorry. breaking stuff I'm left fidgety. and right. I'm fidgety. Sorry, keep going. So, so Christian nationalism is is coming into vogue. And I mentioned ahead of time, hey, Jess, we're probably going to have to touch on this in, in this particular essential. And you said, well, let me study. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, what are some of the things you found about Christian nationalism um, as in, in your readings? I did. I mean, like to say I studied, I probably read. All right, I, I, went, like you, I poked you around did, for yeah, 15 minutes. You're not completely ignorant no, of the topic. But I went, so I probably was a little bit more ignorant than I thought I was. I thought I might have been okay, but I knew that I needed to double check that. So I, I feel like I poked around. I read kind of on both sides of the, because I mean, it is kind of a spectrum of what what people are calling Christian nationalism. Okay. I think I feel is there's there's like real conservative. Or I don't know. It's not even like conservative and liberal. There's just ends yeah, of it. Like yeah. different goals, maybe people who okay. would consider themselves Christian nationalists have different goals in that terminology okay. or different, like what they would define that as. So, um, I don't know. I, I read definitely the people like you who, you know, we need to make it a Christian nation. And, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're not an American. And I don't think yeah. that that's true. And, and you like, and, I just want to underline, you've actually read that. That's things people have actually said in print. That's not just like us, because I've read that as well. Yeah. Um, we're not making that up and saying, oh, people out there might think this. No, they're actually publishing like, this you can't, language. Like, you can't be a good American right. if you're not a Christian. Yeah. So I, I think that that's, that's one end of it. I think there's another end of it that's people who just like are, are passionate about their Christianity and who do feel like for the nation to be more Christian would be better, which I don't disagree with that. But like, it's kind of with your kids, I can give them like good moral boundaries that the Bible gives them. But in the end, like, I, I can't tell them, well, like follow all of these different rules and make sure that you're presenting yourself in this way and hope that at the end, they're going right. to be a Christian. No, they're going to look like a Christian, but to what end? Right. I don't want them to look like a Christian. I want them to be one. And yeah. so I kind of feel like that's the gray area is like, I mean, obviously, yes, you need laws that are going to keep society in place. Sure. But on the other, like you, you, you're going from the wrong end or you need to be making like from the ground up. You want to be raising people who are finding Christianity important, who are then putting Christian leaders in place who are, you know what I mean? Right. So instead of like hoping that you put Christianity on top and it, we forced everybody else into it. Well, and that's, a, that's the piece. It's a top down power approach um, where the goal is to, to basically take over a, the, the country and, and take over the power center. So now you have power and you can make people live a particular way so that they're living according to a Christian ethic by law but it bypasses completely any interchange, 
any transformation, any discipleship. It is a, it is simply it's it's a legal theory. It's a political theory more than it's it's even the author of this book that was really really big and it still is very very popular right now says outright this is not theological. This is not based on biblical study. This is a political theory. Well, that's a problem because we're to be discipled by the scriptures and we're to be theologically minded. Politics are important. They matter. Absolutely. But they're certainly not the primary grid that we do anything through. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the things that we should just quickly do is, is kind of maybe make a couple distinctions here. There is a major difference, for example, between Christian nationalism and patriotism. Oh, yeah. Right. So to be a patriot is good. You love your country. You love the place where God has put you um, and you seek the good of the country that you're in. I mean, that's just a paraphrase of Jeremiah. Right. You seek the good of the nation that you are currently um, living in. You want to be a blessing to your neighbors and to your community. Um, and there is a natural good affection for the country of your birth or the country of your citizenship. If you if you're an immigrant. Right. Mm -hmm. My both my parents are immigrants. So um there is a love for the country that you're in that is appropriate and good. Patriotism is, is a good thing. So I want to make a distinction. I'm not saying patriotism is bad. It's good. Um, Christian nationalism isn't patriotism. It's a different animal. Um, it's also different. Um, there's a difference between Christian nationalism and what I call um, prophetic witness. So the role of the church is to be a prophetic witness, is to say, for example, on the abortion issue, this is wrong. These laws are unjust. People are being hurt. It is our job as Christians to voice that because we're of the kingdom. We have a different ethic than the kingdom that we're currently living in or the country or nation that we're currently living in. Um, so when there is a rub between the ethics of God and the ethics of the kingdom and the ethics of this world here, when those things conflict, we speak about it and we say, hey, this is incorrect. This needs to be changed. And there are even those who go into elected office to try and affect that change through mm -hmm. the drafting of policy and all that. That's not Christian nationalism either. That's prophetic witness because it's not about seizing control and forcing people into your Christian ethic. It is about influencing a nation in a direction that you think is more holy, more just, more righteous, right. different than Christian nationalism. Because Christian nationalism isn't about prophetic witness at all. It is about taking control and forcing others to abide by your particular um, way of doing things. And here's the thing. We have versions of this in the world right now. Um, you can go to the Middle East and find a theocracy where you have blasphemy laws, where homosexuality and transgenderism are outlawed, where, according to some of these, um, women aren't in the workforce, which is a, a push in some Christian nationalist circles. Um, you can go to the Middle East and find all of that. But I don't think that that's the kingdom. I don't think that that's, I mean, there is an ethic in the kingdom, sure. But do we by force legally require people to live to that? No, we rely on the spirit to transform us so that we would walk away from sin by the power of the spirit not by the power of the sword. And so that's where Christian nationalism turns into a whole different thing. It focuses our energies purely on one nation. So it violates the seventh essential that we're talking about here. And it completely misunderstands the nature of discipleship, the way the kingdom grows. It, it fundamentally misunderstands the gospel. Yeah. In my poking around, I found, uh, I don't know, it was just like somebody, 
it wasn't even a, like a notable person. It was just a comment that they had made, and yeah. I loved it. It said, the bonds of brotherhood uh, as sons and daughters of God should overshadow any ethnic, cultural, or racial differences. Amen. And I was like, yeah. Yep. That's like kind of the, everybody, like you were saying before, everybody should have a healthy love and pride for the place that they are in sure. all, in all nations. Yeah. But in the end, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ Amen. and none of us is above another. And this is, this is where we get a beautiful unity among diversity. We sell like, you should celebrate your cultural heritage, where you come from. You know, if you're, um, you know, my, my family's Welsh, that's where a lot of my family comes from. We, we celebrate that. We embrace that. We love that. The other half of my family is Mexican. We celebrate that. We embrace it. We love it. Wherever your ethnic culture comes from, embrace it, celebrate it. It's part of how God made you. And, and I want to celebrate that with you because that's who God made you. And we're unified not because we completely ignore those distinctions and those differences. We're unified because we see how God has built us all and we celebrate them together because this is the beauty of the church, unified in Christ, many nations, rem remaining nations, now made one kingdom in Christ. And it's, it's, it's this beautiful, like there's nothing else I can imagine where you keep the distinctives and embrace the unity all together. Only in Christ is this possible. Um, so that's, that's that half of the essential. We only have a few minutes left, but I want to talk about this next bit. He calls us to a life of self-denying love and service. Um, he calls us to a life for others, in other words. Mm -hmm. um, how does this get lived out in our situation today as, as followers of Jesus in upstate you New York? Today in the, just like your local just church? Your, your local church, but also your local neighborhood. I, th I think just being plugged in, like if you're serving in your church, you will know of places where you can serve. You will know of people who, you, who need you you know what I mean? So I think that like just coming on a Sunday morning, you're not really getting to know the people um, in your congregation. But I've especially like since I started working at the church, um, you there's so many of the people from the congregation who will bring the needs of their communities or, you know, like they've got a, a broad stretch of, uh, of what they're kind of overseeing. And so you'll have so many needs get brought up. Yeah. And I think the only way to know about those and to know if those are ones that like, oh, that's for me. Thanks, God. I got it. Yeah. Um, is to just be involved and you have to be involved and be be here serving. You so also have to be find them. You also have to have your eyes open. Yeah. Right. You have to be able to be aware of of what's going on around you. And it's eyes open with a particular goal. How can I make your life better? Right. right. It's about serving the other. It's about loving the other. Self-denying love and service means it's not about what I get out of this. It's about how do I um, see a need or or even just see another human being, see them as a person, hear them and what they're going through and serve them in some way, some small way, some huge way. It's, mm -hmm. it's not about um, what you get out of it. It's self-denying love. And it's something that we have to retrain ourselves a little bit, I think, because of um, the way we have, uh, or maybe the, I'm going to call it a 1920s distortion, I'll explain it, a 1920s distortion of the American dream. So you did a little bit of, what is the American dream? Like, I want to get to oh, that in a second. This is from 31, This is from 1931, okay. So uh, uh, 
when you said we were going to talk about the American dream, I'm like, it had to have come from somewhere, but I don't know where. So yeah. I was going to look it up. Yeah. So apparently uh, the American dream was coined by James Truslow Adams. He wrote a book that was titled Epic of America. And this is and in the book. He talks mm -hmm. about the American dream. And apparently he wanted to name it the American dream. And his publishers were like, what's that? No one would buy <laughs> that. Stop. <laughs> but okay. I, I, I've, after that, obviously, American dream has stuck. Yeah. But in yeah. his book, I mean, he talks about it obviously a lot, but pretty much he's saying that the American dream is for a better, richer and happier life for all of our city, all of our citizens of every rank. Okay. So, so it's everybody yeah. uplifted, right? It's how do we, it's, if I'm understanding that it's every citizen of every rank achieving a better to, to grow, right. to be happier. Yeah. To, to, I don't think richer means necessarily but richer Money, in life. But right. Here's why I think there's a, so it's, I, I didn't realize that definition came from 31 because here's something that happens in 1925. A very popular novel is published. It's called The Great Gatsby. Mm -hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald writes this book. And if you know the story, it's about an individual who kind of epitomizes the American dream. Now, the book is published in 31, your book that you're referencing. Yes. But it doesn't mean the idea of the American dream. No, I mean, obviously, it's there, been floating right? around. It's been floating around. Fitzgerald, I think he just names it. Right. He gets at the essence of the American dream best he can. And here's what he describes He loves a woman, this guy, this main character, loves a woman, can't attain that woman. She's of a different class. So the only way he can be with this woman is if he raises his social status, he climbs the social ladder in order to attain his goal. And every like literary critic in the world says, this is Fitzgerald's picture of the American dream. Climb the social ladder to achieve the goal that you have set for yourself, right? Notice the difference between those two definitions. Yeah. Yours is about how can everybody do better? Right. Fitzgerald's is how can I do better for what I want and right. I'm me, going me, to make me, myself me. better to receive that and better based on class and how I actually grow financially. Um, yeah. And uh, I obviously I didn't read this whole book. I read. No, a couple no, excerpts. of course. So maybe his maybe he gets to that. Maybe he gets to the me, me, me. But it sounds like I think his, his rough definition doesn't sound like that's it where it really goes. Doesn't does it? No. But. I think it's I think we tend to live live the American dream or pursue the American dream based on a great Gatsby definition more than on the definition. I'm sorry, his name again. Uh James Truslow Adams. James Truslow Adams. I think that we live based on Gatsby and not on Adams. And and I think that that idea of I need to climb the social ladder and make sure that I am comfortable and protected and that my family has a better chance. And then once um, I am, maybe I'll help somebody else yeah, get there. That is very different than what is described in this essential of a life of self-denying love and service. You can't do both things. Like you can pursue, if you're defining the, the, the American dream based on Truslow Adams, and it's actually about how everybody together is uplifted. I can see how those might be able to work together. But if you're defining the American dream, or if it's been defined to you as um, what we see in the great Gatsby, where it's about my own elevation, I don't know how you practice self-denying love and service and be all about climbing the social ladder. Those are heading in different directions. One is heading down to serve others. The other's heading up to be served. Yeah. And Christ came to serve, 
not to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. The goal of the Christian life is to become Christ-like. Well, Jesus didn't climb social ladders. He actually descended the greatest social ladder in the history of social <laughs> ladders, right? He, he, who is God, found equality with God, not a thing to be grasped and held on to greedily, but willingly gave it up to take the form of a servant and go to the cross. So uh, this idea of how do I better myself which is very popular is still in because we're in an individualistic society. It's mm-hmm. how do I better myself? And then maybe we, Brent, how do I better myself and my family? You know, we go that far. Does not fit with a biblical understanding of what it is to live in a self-denying and sacrificial way for others, for the good of others. Um, now, if we live that way in a self-denying way for others and sacrifice for others, we are relying on Christ to care for us. Mm-hmm on God to make sure that, you know, the practical things, bills are paid, food's on the table. We're trusting him to provide that, not our own ability to climb a social ladder. It becomes the life of faith rather than the life of self-reliance. So like this is a, it's, it's a very pervasive understanding of what we're, how we're supposed to live in kind of the American culture that I think the gospel actually runs directly into, like in a, against it, it collides with it. And it forces us to have to choose. And I think one of the things that's an obstacle to missions, I think I think Christian nationalism is kind of this newer thing, but I think a more pervasive long-term obstacle to missions is, but I'm not going to be as comfortable. Or what about my family? They're not going to be able to get ahead if I go do this. It becomes about me and not about self-denying love for others. And the heart of the Great Commission from the beginning has been go make disciples Go serve others. Go love others. It's not about you. And that's very countercultural for us and uh, something that I think we have to, to wrestle with. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Nope. but You're right. Just you're right. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> oh, no. All right. Um, you were like trying to sneakily ask me if I have anything else. My well, same I answer as I always oh, do. Oh, come nope. on. That's, but I was now going to ask it explicitly if you had any last <laughs> things to say. And you just, you blew up. You blew up the thing. Sorry. Blown up. Anyway, um, listen, I know that we, we touched on some things that are a little bit controversial today. And, yeah. and here's what I'll say. Um, if that was a little frustrating for you or if you didn't like that, please reach out to me. I, you know, don't just stew in that. Let's talk. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Um, we're going to make sure my email address is in the show notes. Um, but it's mortega at gwepc or at goodwillchurch.org. Right. So mortega at goodwillchurch.org. Email me. Don't email Jess. All right. Um, <laughs> I mean, She's fine. You can if you, you want. You can. Please don't send it before 7 a.m. It's going to be, you're going to get a financial report pack, basically, that you're <laughs> going to get from her. She's She does the books for us. Um, but email me if you have questions about that or if you're wrestling with that a little bit. Love to have some conversation with you. Um, we're finishing our season next week. We have something kind of fun cooked up for you. It's a good time. Yeah. So come back next week for the season finale. The actual um, end of the end of the end. Yes. We're, we're done with the essentials and we're going to have one last hurrah before Jess, you take some time and uh, do tax time. season and go to, Israel season, and go to Israel and all the things. So, and I got uh, I'm so yeah, excited. It's fun. All right. Well, that's all for today. Thank you for being here. Good. We'll talk. This was season 13, episode, I don't know, 15 or 14, 14. Season 13, episode 14. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like our show, please leave us a five-star rating, write a review, and be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. 
Check out our episode notes for links to our church website and any resources shared on this episode. Editing and sound design by Jeff DiMatti. Marcos Ortega wrote this episode. Our executive producers are Mike Antonucci and Jeff DiMatti. Your co-hosts are Pastor Marcos Ortega and Jessica Kilduff. A special thanks to Goodwill Church for supporting this show so we may provide it to you, our listeners, for free. Let's talk again next week.